Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1979, the chairman of Sony asked the question, do you think a stereo cassette player you could listen to while you're walking around is a good idea? That proved to be one of the great understatements in business history. The result was the Sony Walkman, a personal compact stereo people could take with them anywhere. Now people could listen to their music where they wanted to and when they wanted to with the privacy of headphones. Millions of units were sold. People listened to them while they were doing their chores. They would listen while they were relaxing. They listened while they exercised. In fact, Walkmans were given credit for launching the aerobics craze of the 1980s. The term was even added to the Oxford English Dictionary in 1986. By that time, it didn't matter who manufactured the one you were listening to. It was a Walkman to you. So many people were walking around wearing headphones that created safety controversies. In 1982, the mayor of Woodbridge, New Jersey, banned using a Walkman in public because of an increase in pedestrian accidents. By 1989, over 100 million had been sold. And by the time the cassette versions went out of production in 2010, over 200 million units had been sold. By that time, cell phones are, had morphed from Blackberries to iPhones, and our music playlists were being delivered through apps over the internet, uh, and headphones had shrunk to earbuds, and we'd really fallen in love with our personal devices. Recent years have seen a surge in wearable devices, smart watches and even smart clothing, yoga pants that give you feedback on your posture, swimsuits that keep track of your exposure to UV rays and let you know when you've reached your limit. Smart, work, smart shirts are in the works that are going to be able to uh, give, detect early warning signs of lung disease and other, other illnesses. In the last couple of years, we've seen the arrival of all sorts of uh, uh, smart eyewear. The newest higher-end models will allow you to see just about everything you see on your phone screen um, projected on the inside of their see-through lenses, uh, thanks to tiny projectors built into the frames. They can take pictures. They can record video. You can even operate your drone with your glasses, if you ever wanted to. They can display map directions and caller ID information. And sure, you can still make and take phone calls with them and listen to your personal music choices and wireless privacy. Their market is being able to free you from constantly having to look down at your phone. Leave your phone in your purse or in your pocket, they cry. What they don't add is really, and wear it on your face instead. <laughs> On the medical side of this technology, there are now lightweight glasses that run the Android operating system that use cameras to magnify images up to 18 times for the visually challenged, as well as provide the ability to change the color and contrast of the image they're trying to observe. Um, they will allow those with low vision uh, the opportunity to see objects more clearly, and they even come with a barcode scanner and an optical character recognition program that can actually recognize and read printed documents to the, to the wearer. There are also models that allow a trained live person to link up and see in real time what a totally blind person is looking at. This allows them to provide descriptions and directions to help them navigate you know, their way uh, through the world. What they can't do yet is correct spiritual blindness. That takes a whole different kind of smart. 
It's available, though, through the Holy Spirit. Unlike the latest wearable tech, it's free. Well, Jesus is on the move this morning. He's on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem and across. There are many others on that road as well. Some of them, a lot of them probably following him like they usually did. Others may be simply pilgrims on their way to the city to celebrate the, the, uh, the Passover. The Lord had warned his disciples three times now that he was going to Jerusalem to die. But each time they hadn't understand, understood what he was talking about. They were still hoping for a restoration of Israel to her glory days under kings like David and Solomon. The latest warning occurred when two of them, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, ones Jesus liked to call the sons of thunder, uh, had approached him on this road with a question. But interestingly, they sort of uh, asked for an answer before they actually asked the question. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And they asked for a place at his right and his left when he came into his glory. These would be the, the seats of honor in any earthly kingdom. Clearly, they still foresaw Jesus reigning over a kingdom from the throne of Israel. Well, he warned them again that they didn't know what they were asking for, that his throne wasn't going to be the kind that they had in mind. And for the third time now, he tells them that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. His kingdom was going to be all about humility, not uh, recognition from the world or rewards from the world. For three years, they'd been traveling with him now. They'd, they'd heard him teach. They'd heard him preach. They'd seen him perform miracles. And still, they were stumbling around in, in the darkness caused by their own blind ambitions. This morning, near the city of Jericho, they passed by a blind beggar at the side of the road. Now, in those days, a beggar like that would have received, received uh, little notice. Uh, back then, Jews believed that if a person was suffering from something like blindness, it was likely as a result of some sin he had committed, or maybe even a sin that his parents had committed. And there was no other than family to go to for help. No stimulus checks back then. Now, to get a feel for how they were regarded, think about the, the uh, homeless tents that get set up right on the sidewalks around Los Angeles. Um, that's kind of how they would have looked at this guy. Um, the ones you have to cross the street to avoid, you know. This man made his living, though, the only way he could, by begging. So Mark tells us his name is Bartimaeus and then adds for the benefit of Gentile readers or readers who weren't Jewish um, that it means son of Timaeus, bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus. So we really don't know who this man was at all. We don't even know his first name. But God knew everything about him. And he gave him a place in three of our Gospels for our benefit because this man knew who Jesus of Nazareth was. For this blind beggar, believing meant seeing. And when he heard that it was Jesus who was passing by, he cried out to him. And he kept on crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is the first time that name is used uh, of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. It was particular to a Jewish term for the Messiah. Now the angel Gabriel had told Mary that her son would be given the throne of his, of his father, David. That meant that he would be a descendant of King David, and according to his human nature, Jesus was. The Lord had spent much of his ministry in the north, in the region of Galilee. Nazareth, where he grew up, was as far to the north. Um, he knew that, that uh, the Jews in the region of Judea 
south of Galilee, and in particular around uh, Jerusalem and the temple, uh, has long been plotting to kill him. They thought that he was just another fraud with a following, and they knew he was a threat to what they had expected a Messiah to be like, not to mention the power and authority they were enjoying by their, their, uh, as church leaders. And so we hear stories about Jesus healing someone, and then he tells them, uh, don't tell anybody. Like, that's going to happen, right? As soon as people left, they would tell everybody. But the point was that there was a right time to go all public with this. And, and now, on his final journey to Jerusalem, it was time. Son of David, have mercy on me, Bartimaeus cried out. He went on, and, and the crowd was trying to get him to stop causing such a ruckus, but he, he just cried out all the more. He knew who Jesus was, and he knew what Jesus was capable of. Even a blind man who could only hear um, could see the truth about Jesus. Maybe for most Jews, the son of David would bring to mind uh, earthly military victories, like the original King David. Uh, that's why Jesus was so much of a surprise, I think, why he was rejected by so many of the, the power players at that time. He wasn't what they'd expected or wasn't what they'd hoped for. But maybe because he, this man was blind and he could only see with spiritual eyes, Bartimaeus saw this son of David, uh, saw that he was different. Uh, the one in the Old Testament promise who would come with mercy, not wrath. And he cries, cry tells Jesus that this man sees a, a more about who he is than all the others there that day who could see him clearly. And declaring Jesus as the merciful Messiah, Bartimaeus is also revealing that he sees more clearly than all the others the truth about himself. In contrast to James and John, who had asked to sit beside Jesus in his glory as a way of enhancing how others would see them, not as former fishermen, but as, as uh, powerful associates of a king, uh, Bartimaeus sees his own helpless situation clearly. Unlike the sons of thunder, this blind beggar recognizes his blindness and his need for mercy. He's not using Jesus as a way to gain glory for himself, but rather he sees him as a beggar in need of the grace and mercy brought by the son of David, who was also the son of God, just like we should see ourselves. You know, in a world where people believe that physical infirmity was a sign of spiritual brokenness, Bartimaeus doesn't argue for his own righteousness or about the unfairness of it all. He simply asks for mercy, even more than, than he thinks he deserves, maybe, uh, but the exact thing that Jesus had come to give. His persistence may have annoyed the crowd, but his humility and his honesty, his openness, that caught Jesus' attention. So the Lord stopped. Of course, when he stopped, uh, so did the others. And he told them, uh, call him. Now, standing still would allow the blind man to find him. You know, you read that and you think, gee, poor guy's blind. Why doesn't Jesus just walk over to him? Because aside from the the title he uses, his movement toward Jesus would be a visible outward message to everyone there about how an inward faith that you can't always see you can't help but draw us to Christ. Now, Jesus already knew, but the crowd loudly, that largely ignored the man did not know. So they called to the man. They said, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus didn't hesitate. He didn't allow his disability to keep him from the Lord or his disregard by the crowd to separate him from the Lord's mercy and grace. He threw off his outer garment, uh, sort of with the thickness of a blanket he might have used to wrap up in at night or lay out in front of him and he was begging. 
so it would catch the coins people might toss to him. It says he threw it off, and, and, and he, with, really without any regard about whether he'd ever find the, the scattered coins that might have been on it again. He sprang up, Mark says. Then simply get up. He sprang up, uh, jumped up, and found his way to Jesus. So now the stage is set for a miracle. You know, think about the scene for a moment. Jesus stops, they all stop. The crowd must have gone silent. Nobody wanted to miss what might happen next. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Now remember, this is really the same question that, that he'd recently uh, asked James and John, isn't it? What do you want me to do for you? Now Bartimaeus is a beggar and he was being offered what sounds like a blank check. He had a little money, so he might have asked for a bag of gold. Uh, he had no status in the community. He might have asked for respect. Uh, he's unemployed. Or he might have asked for a high-paying job. Even the disciples wanted Jesus to make them great, but Bartimaeus only wanted to see again. He uses the same word, rabbi or teacher, that the disciples had used when they addressed Jesus, the two ambitious disciples. But in this case, it's the plea of one who's actually understood the lesson that Jesus was responding to, even though he'd probably never been able to read the scrolls of the scriptures for himself. Bartimaeus may not have been able to see, but he had a high-definition vision of a merciful Messiah who could open a whole new world for him. Um, spiritually, he saw perfectly. Rabbi, he pleads, let me recover my sight. And Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Suddenly, Bartimaeus can see the world. But most of all, he can see the glory of God in the face of the son of David. And he doesn't walk away to explore that new world. He actually becomes a follower of Jesus so he can explore his. It's a powerful story. And it won't be the last blind person Jesus heals before he's crucified. On this trip to Jerusalem, the Lord and his disciples are going to celebrate the Passover for the very last time together. From here, Mark moves on to Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, but he never stops teaching. Even on the cross, Jesus will teach us what forgiveness is all about when he asks the Father to forgive the, the very men who are crucifying him. In the week leading up to that day, Jesus spent time in the temple, or at the temple, where Matthew tells us that on Monday of Holy Week, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did. And the children shouted in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. They asked each other, do you hear what these are saying? Well, the children were simply repeating what they'd heard their parents say the day before as they welcomed Jesus uh, into the city as he rode in humbly on the colt of a donkey. The chief priests were beside themselves. All this healing was going on right under their noses. The prophets had foretold it. They said it was going to happen. They didn't say when it was going to happen, but it was happening. It was one of the signs by which they would recognize the Messiah when he came. Isaiah had written, uh, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. All that means that God keeps his promises. All those things were coming true in Jesus Christ. And still, many of the people, especially the church leaders who knew better, refused to believe. But nevertheless, God keeps his promises. 
On Tuesday, Jesus taught his disciples just how powerful faith could be. He said, I tell you the truth. Whatever Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Something important's coming. He said, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for. So think about what we've talked about this morning. James and John had come to Jesus earlier, asking him to grant whatever they wanted. He played along. What do you want me to do for you? When they asked to get the seats of honor when Jesus came into his glory, he warned them that if they knew what that really meant, they would never have asked for such a thing. If he granted their request, there might have been five crosses on Calvary on Good Friday, not just three. This morning, Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus asked only for mercy, that his sight might be restored. He wasn't blinded by ambition like the two disciples were. His eyes were already opened in the, in the spiritual sense of recognizing Jesus of Nazareth for who he really was, Jesus, the Son of God, the promised Savior. And he received his sight. Now, in his mercy, Jesus did not grant James and John's request. They thought they'd had it all figured out. They thought they knew where it was all headed, not to a cross, but to a throne. Instead of trusting God to do what was best for them, they tried to use God for their own benefit. Lucky for them, he said no. There's a reason we, we pray in Jesus' name. It's only through faith in his redeeming work for us that we dare even ask him for anything. When you approach the Lord, you really should come in, in contrition and, and repentance, remembering who you are, a sinner in need of God's mercy, and who Jesus is, holy, perfect, loving, and God, for whom nothing is impossible, like Bartimaeus did. It's why we don't wait to use prayer as a tool of last resort after we, we uh, you know, use up all our other ideas, after everything else has failed. Jesus has invited us to pray often, and he's promised to listen. So if Jesus came to you and he asked, what can I do for you, what would you ask for? You know now that it wouldn't be the first time that, that uh, he offered someone what sounds like a blank check. Would the lottery cross your mind? He wants to hear about our cares and our concerns. You know, if you need healing, ask. If you need guidance, ask. If you need comfort, just ask. But to pray in Jesus' name means that that we don't pray in our own worthiness, but in the worthiness that Jesus has imparted to us by faith. That alone will make a difference in what you decide to pray for. And your will, your wants, will begin to align with what God's will is for you. People who fear, love, and trust in God above all things are people who pray, thy will be done. And when we ask for earthly blessings, we do it just like Jesus did in Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, we pray, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So if Jesus came to you and asked, what can I do for you? What would you ask for now? Remember, believing means seeing, seeing what counts. So maybe you could start by simply praying, thank you. Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, we'll take a moment now to receive your gifts.